All right, welcome to the Redemption Tempe podcast. Uh, my name is Warren Williams. I'll be your host for today, and today I'm joined by AC. What's good? And Pastor John, Pastor John Crawford. John, say hello to the people. Hey, how you guys doing? So um, we're just continuing, actually beginning our four-week Advent podcast series. If you have been around Redemption Tempe, you know Advent is a very... Um, celebratory time uh, for us and uh, we really do make a big deal of this you know um, the incarnation of Christ and um, you know it's just been a time where you know we look back at the incarnation of Christ in a way that stirs a longing for Jesus uh, to return again and um, I don't think we have to look too far for uh, us to to see and say Jesus come soon Hmm. there's just so much going on in our world Um, Hmm. unfortunately living in a fallen world you know there's we long for the return of Christ so um, Advent is a season where we're, you know, stirring those affections. And this year we'll be using the podcast for these next four weeks as a platform to explore different kinds of spiritual rhythms that, um, you know, we want to incorporate. We think it's important that we incorporate into our lives to uh, deepen our affections toward Christ. And so today's podcast, uh, or today's episode, uh, specifically is going to deal with the spiritual, uh, a spiritual rhythm that has to do with the body, right? The importance of the body. And we want to look at what implications does the incarnation have in the importance of the physical body and the material existence, right? Like these things have implications on real world things. We're not just talking, uh, in a level that's just not. I don't know, present with us, right? We're talking about things like the incarnation has a effect on our real world. And um, it's interesting when we talk about spiritual rhythms, I think a lot of times we'll lean towards maybe um, scripture reading or prayer. And these, of course, are important things, but uh, we don't typically think of the physical body when we talk about spiritual rhythms. And so that's what we're going to be talking about today. Um, we're going to be talking about uh, resting and fasting, Sabbath, and a couple different topics here. I'm just going to actually pass it over to AC. AC, can you talk about the importance of the physical body? And AC, like, talk about why is this an important thing and why do you think uh, this goes missed? One thing is that for God to come into the world as a human being hmm. is an affirmation of the goodness of creation. God is saying, I'm here to redeem all of creation. I'm going to restore humanity and restore all of creation. And I'm going to come in as a human being. That's saying like, it's not bad to be a human. It's not bad to have a physical body. In fact, these are good things. He said in Genesis 1, when he created them, these are good, 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 very good. And so for him to to not only come into the world as a human, but even to resurrect as a physical being, you know, that just underscores the importance of the physical body and the physical creation. Yeah. And... You know, I think that for a lot of Christians, especially evangelicals, hmm. there's been this kind of disembodied type yeah. of faith where, you know, we've got this spiritual right. realm, spiritual life, and then we've got this kind of physical, physical bodies, physical life. And really, I mean, it, there's a long history to that. We trace it all the way back to Plato, though, hmm. really, this kind of Plato, Platonic notion. And then after Plato, this Neoplatonism, right. and really, essentially, uh, those are confusing words, but what that boils down to is that there was a division between the good spiritual realm and then the world and kind of the physical material stuff is evil. And then that translates into the human body even, that the human body was actually inferior and the spiritual realm was superior. And so bodily life ended up being kind of inferior, but spiritual life was was of great utmost importance. And this led to kind of this otherworldly notion, which oftentimes that has been synthesized with scripture. It's yeah. been synthesized with the Bible. And all the way from Plato, the early church was wrestling through these early church heresies um, and Platonism. And really what we see and what AC just said is that, man, the fact that Christ puts on flesh right. and dwells among us, he comes to this earth, the God who created everything, choose 
chooses to put on a physical human body and put on flesh affirms that God cares about creation. It affirms that creation is good and it affirms that the body is good. And so really what we see is that the spiritual realm in Jesus coming, the spiritual realm does matter, but it's not of the utmost importance. But Hmm. the physical realm also matters and that the two are intertwined. And if we try to separate them, it ends up being what is called dualism. Dualism, And you have this dualistic notion where it is a disembodied faith. And that's why we say, oh, spiritual rhythms or spiritual disciplines are prayer, reading your Bible. um, Those are the two primary ones. And then maybe, you know, if it's, you know, something like Lent, then fasting Fasting is added in. But there's a ton of spiritual rhythms. And we see actually, even just looking at Jesus' life, we see him live out and truly incarnate some of these rhythms um, that we're going to be talking about today. Yeah, that's so true and so good. And uh, yeah, as John was saying, there's these spiritual spiritual rhythms, right? These are practices that help us to like learn and grow in our faith. And um, like John, kind of touched on uh, two of the most popular ones are you know reading our bible praying right but we're talking about the body today right and i think one of the oldest um spiritual rhythms that i guess we can associate with the body would be fasting it's one of the old yeah oldest spiritual practices we see jesus basically assuming that his um you know those will follow him will fast right but um ac can you tell us like why do we fast what is the point of fasting do we still need to fast yeah just kind of you know tell us about that yeah yeah you know and, and to answer that question i want to quote jesus yeah but, there you go but before i do that, <laughs> that's a good starting point yeah. <laughs> But I want to make sure that I'm not just like ripping a single statement he right. made out of the context of his entire life and For ministry. Because sure. you can make Jesus seem to say a lot of things he's yeah. not really saying That's right. if you start taking single verses out of context. People do that? Wow. <laughs> I got a billboard to show you. <laughs> yeah, man. Uh, so, so remember when Jesus came, Matthew 4, Mark 1, the thing he said was the time is fulfilled. The kingdom of God is at hand. Hmm. So Jesus, his whole life and ministry was about bringing the kingdom kingdom of God. And he's the Messiah that the Jewish people were looking forward to. And they expected a kingdom and they expected a Messiah to bring the kingdom, but they were expecting a kingdom to come all at once. Right. And just to give an idea of what the world would look like when that kingdom would come, I just want to read a little bit from Isaiah 35. Yep. Then the eyes of the blind will be open, the ears of the deaf unstopped. Then the lame will leap like a deer, the mute tongue shout for joy. And those the Lord has rescued will return. They will enter Zion with singing. Everlasting joy will crown their heads. Gladness and joy will overtake them and sorrow and sighing will flee away. Mm. And so just this picture of physical and emotional wholeness. Yeah. Hmm. And obviously we don't live yeah. in a world like that. Right. And so when Jesus dies and rises from the dead, that throws the disciples off completely because they believed in a resurrection. Like yeah. when Jesus said, hey, I'm going to die and rising from the dead. And it said the disciples didn't understand what he meant by that. Like, what is this rising from the dead? man? Yeah. It, it wasn't that they had this pseudoscientific naturalistic idea that we have where we're like, oh, I don't know if a, a resurrection is physically possible right. or not. No, they believed it, but yeah. they thought it was going to all happen at once. Once, right. Everybody, yeah. Yeah. not yeah. just one person. So, so, good. so, so Jesus good. rising from the dead is like, what's going on? And it's this idea that the kingdom is coming. And in Acts 1, they say, is now the time you're going to restore the kingdom mm. to Israel? And it's this idea that the kingdom is here already, but not yeah. yet fully. Not fully. And, yeah. and Paul, he fleshes this out in his epistles of what it looks like to have a kingdom that is already, but not yet. And so Jesus is coming. He's bringing this kingdom. As we can see, living in a world filled with death, disease, and decay, it's not fully here, at least not yet. So with that in mind, quoting Jesus in Matthew 9, 14, John's disciples came and asked him, how is it that we and the Pharisees fast often, but your disciples do not fast? And Jesus answered, how can the guests of the bridegroom mourn while he's with them? The time will come when the bridegroom will be taken from them. Then they will fast. So Jesus Hmm. saying, like, I'm here. 
There's no reason to fast. When I'm here, it's a reason to celebrate. Right, the kingdom is right. coming. The kingdom is right? coming. But when I leave, yeah. there's this aspect of the kingdom that's not fully here yet. Mm-hmm. Yes, God has come back to his people to rule and to reign on earth as it is in heaven, but not fully yet. So when we fast, we're longing for Christ to return, to reestablish his good rule on the earth. And in that day, when he does, there will be complete physical, emotional, spiritual wholeness, right. not just for humanity, but for all of creation. And so when we fast, we're taking the spiritual longing Hmm. and we're expressing it through a physical longing. Again, integrating the body and the spirit. We're not doing the dualistic thing. Jesus didn't do the dualistic thing. Just as I hunger for Christ in my soul, so I hunger for him with my stomach. Yeah. That's good. Yeah, it's so good. So good, AC. And I really love the way that you, you know, provided that context for us to, you know, really draw from. So, you know, I think even more commonly nowadays, there's a lot of people with maybe dietary requirements or restrictions or for for whatever reason, Uh, because I think fasting has historically been understood as abstaining from food, Mm -hmm. right? But can you kind of walk us through, are there alternative methods or ways to kind of do fasting, you know, for people who are, who who may, you know, fasting may be difficult or dangerous for them or for them to, you know, not have food for an extended amount of time? Yeah, absolutely. Um, I mean, you even look at like Daniel had a particular kind of fast But for me, I fall into that category where I have migraines and one of the biggest triggers for my migraines is when I skip meals. So if I abstain from food, which I do sometimes, I'll fast, I'm playing Russian roulette with my body. Like, am I going to get a migraine? Am I not going to get a migraine? You know, is the Lord calling me to this? Is he not? But what I think is... What you want to do is abstain from something that's going to create a longing. Hmm. You know, yeah. sometimes what I see is that, and this is good too. That's like so good. We, we give yeah. up something like, I don't know, let's say I'm going to give up Chappelle show for 30 days, mm-hmm. you know? <laughs> and so, I, and then I like two weeks into it, I realized, man, it's really easy to live without Chappelle show. Right. And I'm, there's not really a longing there, you know? And that's good because we get really, our lives get intertwined with things that it's good to take that time out from. Yeah, so I'm not saying that's bad. That's good. But when you fast in this type of way, you want to do something where you feel it. Where you feel this longing and then that's that can be in that expression of that longing for Christ, whether it's physical from not eating or whether it's something that's so part of your life that you giving it up, you feel it every day. Hmm. So it doesn't necessarily have to be food. Like I think that's I love the way you've kind of taken the focus away from food, but rather like, why are we fasting? It's like we're longing for Christ or whatever it is in our lives that, you know, can create that sense of longing. You know, that's fine to fast from yeah right? so i think kind of, yeah i think yeah, too ahead, uh i think too one of the things that we're doing when we're fasting is we're giving god the attentiveness hmm. that we usually give to other things right and so i think you even look at it from a cultural idolatry standpoint Definitely. and a lot of the things that we've kind of capitulated to mm-hmm. and bowed our knee to are great things to actually fast from right. to say like hey i'm gonna abstain from this and if you look at it from a time standpoint if we're talking about alternative ways you think about the number of hours that people spend shopping huh, whether yeah. it's at a physical mall or yeah. whether it's just online, online. shopping perusing yeah. you know this Amazon page in. this page <laughs> yeah. yeah man you know like give me that instant click yeah, buy it exactly. like you can yeah. spend hours Definitely. just looking at stuff online yeah. and you can spend hours watching tv and binge watching right. episodes and watching sports and you can spend hours flipping through the, the feed on feeds. social media yeah, you man. know yeah and so if 100%. we look at fasting as this longing but then also if we look at it as hey the attentiveness that i usually give these other things I'm now going to give God this attentiveness. Man, there's a lot of things that I feel like we can take a cue from hmm. on alternative things and alternative ways that we can that we can fast. 
Yeah, that's so good. It's so good. Um, I really love the way, like I said, we kind of refocusing fasting, right? And what it looks like and, um, you know, what is, what is the real meaning, um, purpose behind it? We're going to kind of flip this, uh, the switch here. We're going to talk about feasting now, right? So John, one practice that you've recently rolled out in, um, RCs and for those that don't know, those are redemption communities, right? Um, is feasting. Can you tell us about that? Why are RCs doing this? Um, you know, where does that inspiration come from? Feasting. That's obviously the opposite of fasting. Yeah. You know, after you fast, you feast. Yeah. You know, you, you, you I get, love feasting. Yeah. <laughs> feasting, man. We, I can do that. We, we all love feasting, you know? There, there's holidays built around feasting, right. not holidays right. built around fasting too yeah, often, that's right. you know? That's right. But uh, yeah, so within redemption communities, um, We've rolled out this this initiative to really become a rhythm of redemption communities and to become a rhythm in people's lives, a spiritual rhythm of feasting. And, and when we say feasting, we're talking about shared meals around the table, but more than that, we're talking about hospitality. Huh. That feasting is actually an essential component of hospitality. We see this in the life of Christ. Uh, when Jesus comes, he puts on flesh and dwells among us in his incarnation, which is why we're doing this podcast for Advent. But what we see is that in Jesus, Jesus' kingdom ministry, he eats his way through the the gospel. Literally, (laughs) feasting is an essential component of Jesus' earthly ministry when he's bringing the kingdom to earth. And so we see that he eats with different types of people. Um, We see that he eats with sinners who don't know him, sinners and tax collectors. Uh, We see that he eats with religious people that don't believe in him, the Sadducees and the Pharisees. And we see that he eats with his followers, the disciples, people that know him, love him, and follow him. And I think that historically for us as a church, and then also just the the church, kind of the broader evangelical church, I think we feast with each other really well. The the latter category of, of Jesus, um, as far as feasting with the disciples, I think we we eat together and we get to know each other. Definitely. We pursue each other with great intentionality, and that's good. That's an essential component of biblical community. But what we often neglect is looking at what biblical hospitality truly was, huh. and what biblical tr- hospitality truly is is that it always includes those on the margins. It always includes the stranger, and it always included people that weren't like us. Right, and so looking at as we roll this out for redemption communities we want our redemption communities we want people at redemption tempe to extend the hospitality of god to their neighbors it's an essential component of what it looks like to love our neighbors we're living in a cultural moment where people are lonelier now than they ever have been a new study came out recently that diagnosed our society as being in an epidemic of loneliness People are living isolated lives where they are not living out what it means to be truly human as far as in community. And so what we're able to do as really followers of Christ, we look at the pattern that Jesus left for us in in his kingdom ministry and we see feasting. We see Jesus is extending his hospitality and it's important that we understand what hospitality is too because when we talk about this being a spiritual rhythm, a lot of times in our culture right now, we say, oh yeah, you know, this person was so hospitable. They, you know, they had a Super Bowl party and and cooked (laughs) hot dogs and invited their friends over and it's like, they're so hospitable. And they might very well be, but if we look at the biblical definition, that's not hospitality. And so we've kind of hijacked the word hospitality and really what hospitality is and what it means is it's intentionally making room to give of ourselves and receive the other person. Hmm. And so you actually don't have to even have a home to be hospitable. And what we see is that Jesus was oftentimes the guest rather than he was the host. And so if we look at the shared meals of what Jesus is doing around the table and table fellowship, 
He's being hospitable because he's intentionally making room to give of himself and receive the other person in his life. And so when we look at feasting, there is an element of food. Food is creational good. It's, it's a gift from God to be enjoyed, and we can give him worship and glory through eating. But even more than that, the practice of hospitality, of intentionally making room in our lives, in the busyness of our lives, everybody's busy, busier right. now than ever. We intentionally make room to give of ourselves and receive the other person. And there's something special that happens when it's around food, when it's around the table. So and good. I think that we That's can so break good. a lot of the cultural divisions, a lot of the divisiveness that's going on right now. Yeah. I think table fellowship is a way forward. And if we make that truly a practice and a rhythm, I think that that is a powerful witness for uh, showing the world what the kingdom of God is like. Oh, man, that was so good. There's so many parts of that um, that we can probably do a whole nother podcast on. Um, hmm. You know, I, I just think in the age of like social media, where is this, I guess it's an illusion that we're so connected and you talk about just an epidemic of loneliness you know um it, it's just so interesting and um i was even thinking about as you were saying um you know we're so busy we're so busy so when we do have those times or moments when we can act relax and have a meal a lot of times we just want to pick the people that we like around us right yeah and so yeah um but the gospel calls us not to to live and just comfort right that um like you said truly being hospitable is giving of yourself you know inviting those uh people maybe who don't vote the same as us right who don't yeah. look the same as us who don't think the same of us whatever it may be who are different than us inviting them to the table so that's huge and um uh just kind of kind of continuing on here i noticed that I'm, I'm looking over the show notes and i'm like uh our podcast notes and i'm like hey we have kind of like a theme going over here so we started with fasting and then we're feasting and now we're going into sabbath right and most people just think of that as sleep so that kind of follows a, <laughs> a thread here no but we're gonna go into actually what uh, Sabbath and, um, you know, good rest and what does that actually mean? And so I grew up um, at Pentecostal church. I remember hearing the Ten Commandments, right? And you remember, like, don't murder, don't steal, don't commit adultery. We didn't really know what that meant, but <laughs> we knew that was kind of like for the adults. Um, but there's that commandment, right? It talks about uh, rest, right? The Sabbath, respecting the Sabbath, right? Honoring the Sabbath. And, um, you know, in some ev evangelical circles, out of the Ten Commandments, the one that I think that seems to be talked about the least, and I can attest to that from my experience or um, not viewed as serious mm -hmm. uh, as the rest of them is the Sabbath. John, can you kind of tell us uh, or tell us why did God give us the Sabbath and what does that mean today? What does that mean to a consumer driven society today? Yeah, there's there's a lot that could be said here, yeah. and I think it's really good because, you know, as I just said, that we have a, a hijacked understanding of feasting and hospitality, specifically the word hospitality. I think we have an even more hijacked uh, definition for what Sabbath is. Huh. We think of it mer merely, if we think of it as all, it's it's a day off. Yeah. Um, or we think of Chick-fil-A. You know, we're like, oh man, Chick-fil-A, they're doing it right. You know, they're doing it right. They're closed on Sundays. This is the Sabbath, yeah. you know? And... I think it's problematic for multiple reasons if we just view the Sabbath as a day off. Because that was, for one, it was it was never, that's not God's intentional design in giving the Sabbath. But also, it, it truly becomes even more of an option for us as Christians if it's mm. like, oh, it's a day off. Yeah. If it's just a day off, well, you know what, I need to make more money, I don't need a day off, or hey, you know what, this, that, the other. And it gives us an easy, easy way out to practice the Sabbath. Yeah. And so I think... You know, before we talk about what it looks like for us today, I think we got to backtrack okay. to look at why did God give the Sabbath in the first place? What was the historical context for it? Because that actually gives us 
a lot of understanding to shed light on what it looks like. What are the implications for Sabbath today? And so I think it's important that we understand that the Ten Commandments were given in Exodus 20, right after God had freed his people from slavery for 400 years. These were an oppressed people group Hmm. where they were living under the oppressive reign of Pharaoh. Right who was deemed as a god in Egypt, and they've lived for multiple generations, for 400 years as slaves, and they've been caught up in the rhythm of the Egyptian life as slaves. That's right. And the problem was, is that these people were dehumanized, is that they were slaves, and they were not viewed as people, and not only were they not viewed as people, uh, they were actually viewed as equipment, right. not people. Right, exactly. And so they weren't yeah. viewed as people at all. They were viewed as equipment yep. to build pyramids for Pharaoh. That's amazing. And we see yeah. that Pharaoh ups their, their work quota, and we see that there's harsher and harsher conditions. Right. And this is what they're used to. They're used to this supposed God in, in Egypt, Pharaoh, who says, you're living under my reign and my rule, and you're not even people. And because you're not people, your equipment for building, there are no days off. Huh. Yeah. You don't get any days That's off. Right. There's no time off. Right. You will, not only will you work, but I'm going to increase your quota and you're going to work and you're going to work and you're going to work. And there was no rest for slaves. Right. It's not just a day off, but there was no rest, no rest. for these slaves. That's right. So God frees these people from 400 years of living under this reign and he brings them into the desert. He gives them the 10 commandments about Two to three months after they've been freed, they've got fresh wounds on their back still right. as far as from being whipped by yeah. the by the taskmasters. And God gives them the law summed up in the Ten Commandments. And there's one of these commandments that is, you shall keep the Sabbath. Keep, the Sabbath. keep it holy. And God is saying, now you are my people. You're no longer dehumanized. You're an image bearer that I have created. You're not equipment for building. And this is the kind of God that I am. This is the kind of God, this is the God whose reign you will live under, is that you formerly have known a God who's made you work and work and work with no rest. But I am the true God, I'm Yahweh, and I'm the God who gives rest. And so under my reign and my rule, you have one day of rest, mandatory, where not only do you not have to work, but you can trust in my gracious provision that I am the provider and I will continue to provide for you. And so the giving of the law and specifically the Sabbath was so countercultural to what they were used huh. to, it would have been so mind-blowing. Good. That it so was good. beautiful. This, the, yeah. this was a beautiful thing for All people right. who had been oppressed for 400, 400 years. years yeah. And so I think for us... It's not a day off. It's a day of rest. And it's a day for us to rest truly in God. Yeah. To rest truly in God, to be refreshed, to be rejuvenated. And here is the problem. There's three views on this. There's three views on the Sabbath within Christianity. One is legalism. The other one is irreverence. And the other one is that this is a spiritual formation practice. And so I think for us, it's important that we figure out where we fall in this. Hmm. Because for the legalism folks, they say, you have to observe the Sabbath. You have to keep the Sabbath or you're in sin and it's got to be on Sunday. And so there's folks that fall into this camp where it's actually become law. Right. Where now you have to keep it, and yeah. if not, you're in sin. That's right. And it's actually you're you're creating a burden for that's, folks. That's right? right. It's like you better be in church on Sunday. You better you better yeah, you that, better that, be that, closed like Chick Fil A. Yeah, yeah. You know. 
yeah. on the flip side, yeah, you've got so the irre- uh, irrelevance, yeah. where it's just not relevant to us. Right. We're New Testament Christians. We don't follow the law anymore. Right. The Ten Commandments, that doesn't have any bearing on us. Right. And so a lot of evangelicals have just kind of viewed the Sabbath as that. It's yeah. like, it's a day off, and I don't need to take a day off. Whereas... I would say we don't want to land in either one of those. We want to view this as a spiritual formation practice that is an invitation from God, and it's a privilege. It's a privilege as God's people where we say, hey, there's something formative that is done here. Spiritually, it's spiritually formative, but it uses our body, that we rest from the work, and we are spiritually rejuvenated and refreshed. And when we do this, it makes us resist the idols of our culture. Pete Scazzaro, who's a pastor, um, he wrote Emotionally Healthy Spirituality. He says this about Sabbath and Sabbath rest. He says that Sabbath and practicing the Sabbath exercises us from the demon of productivity. Wow. That it's actually like an exorcism of the demon of productivity yeah. that we are so wrapped up in and we're so caught up in, in in our world, in our society, especially in Western culture. Yeah, that's so good. Um, and thank you for just giving, again, just giving us that full context, you know, to help us to understand, you know, where Sabbath comes from and what's the purpose and uh, meaning behind it. For me, it's been something that I've struggled with. I can just say personally, um, I guess historically, I've just kind of viewed it as like kind of probably in the form of like a day off, right? Where I don't have to work. And, you know, we all get caught up in this rhythm of, Five days on, two days off, and you know the Sabbath is not just a day off. Um, you know, like John said, you know it's resting. You know, it's an opportunity to rest in God. And so, like myself, I'm sure there's a lot of people who are trying to figure out or really um, honor the Sabbath in the correct way. Um, so, what are some practical ways that we can, um, you know, practical nuggets of wisdom that we can keep in mind um, for myself and for others who are trying to really learn what it means to Sabbath? Yeah, I. Uh... So there's, there's two things that have been really, really formative here for understanding for me over the last couple of years. Sabbath is something that I have implemented, that I've practiced, that I've had to protect because you got to fight for it. But for us, what is Sabbath? We, we said, hey, it's not a day off, but it is a day of rest. And so what does that look like? And I see there, there's two real things that we see in scripture, specifically in the Old Testament, both in Exodus 20 and then also in Deuteronomy, that there's two biblical reasons for Sabbath and it's praying and it's playing. And so as we engage in this, there's, there's some rhythms that, that we can do is that for one, we stop, we can stop what we're doing, right. which in a society of busyness, stopping is very hard. Yeah. We rest. Yeah. We delight in what brings us joy, which is the playing aspect of Sabbath. And then we contemplate and we spend time with God. Yeah. And that's where the praying comes in. And so a Sabbath day of rest should have kind of these rhythms of, hey, time with the Lord, enjoying him, enjoying his good gifts that he gives us, enjoying creation. And we delight in the things that bring us joy. But it's a stop. It's a rest, delight, and then contemplate and spend time with God. And so I think that that looks different for everyone. Right. And so one thing for me, how this looks is uh, Sabbath day is Monday for me. And a lot of it is uh, mornings are time with God, longer period of time where I'm not rushed because it is a Sabbath day. And so time in scripture, praying. um, And then I do stuff that brings me joy that during the week when I'm working, I don't have time to do. And so I actually really enjoy cooking. Ah, okay. And every Monday um, I cook. I will cook dinner and go to the store and get get stuff that I want to make. And that brings me joy. But, you know, the the other days of the week, it's hard for me to really, like, 
cook and prepare a meal but that brings me joy time outside riding bikes now that the weather's beautiful like going on bike rides and enjoying god's actual physical creation playing basketball (laughs) watching basketball like these are the kind of things that bring me joy but for someone else it might be you know it could be fishing it could be rock climbing you know i mean it's like recording music writing music yeah music you know yeah yeah and so 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 good i think that what we see um is that it should have a balance of the playfulness yeah. of enjoying God's creation, but also the prayerfulness of time with God, communing with him, giving him thanks, hearing his voice. And I think for, for each person, it's different, but I would say that the, that the pattern and the rhythm should be stop, yeah. rest, delight in what brings you joy through playing, and then contemplate and spending time with the Lord. And that's the prayerfulness of Sabbath. Yeah. And um, I think, you know, as we kind of, uh, you know, move on from that, I think just intentionality, right? Being intentional about our Sabbath, not just, uh, it's a day off, like, you know, being intentional. How can we rest in God? How can we be recharged? If that's a good word, like, how, what, like, what is recharge? What recharges us? What gives us joy? Um, so moving on, um, AC, I want to talk about self care. And I know this has been topic that's kind of been coming up more recently. Um, you know, unfortunately, we've seen a lot of people, you know, suffering through depression or maybe just burnout, right? You know, hmm. I mean, a lot of people in ministry have been uh, facing just burnout, right? And I guess there's that notion as like, as Christians, you know, we're supposed to care for people. You shouldn't be worried about yourself. Like you're called to suffer. So a lot of people don't even think that self-care belongs in the conversation of a spiritual rhythm, right? It can seem sub-biblical. But why is self-care important? That's a great question. Mm. I mean, it comes back to purpose. Mm. Why are we the people of God? The reason why we're the people of God is that we are the new humanity. Right. Mm. When Jesus rose from the dead with his glorified body and extended that invitation, that promise that we're going to be like him, he's providing a foretaste of what that world is going to be like. And he calls the church to provide a foretaste of the kingdom. And so what we're we're called to do is to make God known to the world around us in the way that we live in every facet of life. But all of that requires a body. Like, I don't mm. care if you're the most hardcore right. duelist in the world. Yeah. Like, the only thing that matters is evangelism and getting people saved. Yeah. I don't care about feeding the poor. Right. I, I just want to get people saved. Cool. How are you going to do that without a body? Yeah, exactly. You can't. That's right. You can't. If you talk about, like, well, God cares about the heart. Cool. Well, if you want to find my heart, you're going to have to look for the dude in the Lakers jersey. <laughs> That's right. That's 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 how important and how central to mission as the people of God that bodily existence is. Right. And Mm. it's a gift that God has given us. And so with every gift that God has given us, we have to steward it well. Hmm. And we show our gratitude through stewardship. And so that includes self-care. You know, I came up in a circle where overwork was glorified. Yeah. And and you would hear things like the world is run by tired men. Right. And I'd hear stories about pastors who like work a full-time job, study the Bible for six hours, raise their kid for 30 minutes, and then go to bed, sleep for four hours. And then that gets elevated to the sense of like, oh man, they really care. Yeah, they really care. Yeah. yeah. And, and that's true. Yeah. I don't want to take away from yeah. it. That's true. But that's also dangerous. Right. And I would even say the Bible would go as far is to say that's foolish yes to not take care of your body you know we we talk about like keeping people accountable it's usually like you know what are you doing with your sexual life yeah what's your sin issue yeah Yeah, what's What's the sin issue issue that yeah Yeah. when's the last time you asked somebody that you care about hey man when's the last time you got a massage Mm. you know when's the last time you just like chilled and didn't do a lot of physical exertion and just relaxed yeah And, and those things are important because in order to take care of our bodies and or i'm sorry in order to live in mission we got to take care of our bodies that's right because that's mm. where the 
arena of mission is. It's right. in the arena of bodily existence. That's right. Yeah, that's good. That's right. Hmm. Yeah, AC dropping some uh, gems on us. Uh, um, in my own life, um, you know, operating in the logistics industry, I do see a lot of like, you know, I think this is like for many businesses. It's that, you know, the person who works the hardest, who stays up the latest, who stays um, the latest after their shift or, you know, time they're supposed to leave, whatever it may be, that's like glorified, right? But as a manager, I've had the opportunity to manage people and I've even tried to implement this, you know, in the way that you treat your, you know, our employees. Like, hey, are you getting enough time to rest? Like, you don't need to be here late every night. Like, work smarter. You know, you don't need to necessarily, you know, you don't need to work those long hours. And I've seen it go such a long way making for happier people. It's just funny that, um, you know, we talk about it maybe in a church sense, but this is, this, it works for everyone is because it's the way that we were designed, right? It's the way that God yeah. designed us. So, you know, AC, in your life, uh, you've been practicing something called integrated liturgies. What is that? Yeah, I want to, I want to know about this, yeah, AC. Yeah, tell us about this that, is, man. Yeah. What is that? What does that look like? So, so this started from a couple of things. One was from really reflecting on the importance of the body and not just doing spiritual rhythms in a vacuum over spiritualized another thing is like um the reality that a couple of years ago i was in a in a car collision where someone yeah. negligently hit my vehicle and, and i sustained a lot of soft tissue damage and so now i have to do a lot of exercises and stretches in order to maintain my body and the problem was like all right cool i'm supposed to do that in the morning but i'm also supposed to spend time with jesus in the morning right. and i don't have two hours every morning so a lot of times it came like well which one do i pick mm-hmm. and so i was trying to think of mm-hmm. like, how can i integrate these things yeah and so what i came up with is this thing i call integrated liturgy and so what i do when i wake up in the morning the first thing i do is i recite the shema deuteronomy you know uh hear o israel the lord our god the lord is one Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength. And as I'm doing that, I'm doing what's called a standing back posture, where you take the center of your back, line it up against the corner of a wall or a door, and you hold that posture and you walk away from the door holding it. And that's supposed to uh, improve your posture. Right. And so it's an alignment thing. My alignment. I'm aligning myself spiritually, mentally. Oh, that's so good. That's so good. I love that. That's good, man. Yeah, that's really good. (laughs) And then then I move into a a movement of gratitude. So what that looks like is, and there's all kinds of different things. Maybe I'll sing a song. Maybe I'll read a psalm of gratitude or just give thanks for something. And then after I verbally give thanks, I will physically give thanks by doing general stretches, like Mm. stretching my calves, hamstrings, just knowing that whatever I might give thanks for, whatever prayers God may have answered, whatever God's doing in my life, none of those things would be possible if I didn't have a body. Yeah. Hmm. So good. So I give thanks by doing stretches and taking care of my body. And then I move into a period of lament. And so what this looks like is... I will either confess sin yeah. or I will, I have a Psalm uh, remix. I'm going to read to y'all Psalm 13. It's really short, but I remixed it and made it personalized to lament the effects of sin in my own life. Yeah. And it says, how long, Lord, will you forget me forever? How long will you hide your face from me? How long must I wrestle with my thoughts and day after day have sorrow in my heart? How long will pain, depression, anxiety, and shame triumph over me? Look on me and answer, Lord, my God, give life to my body or I will waste away and migraines, herniated discs, financial burdens and past sins will say we have overcome him wow. and my hmm. foes will rejoice when my faith fails oh, so but good. I trust in your unfailing love my heart rejoices in your salvation from there after that's beautiful man yeah, that's, that's yeah. so good that's, yeah. that's really that's so good, good dude after verbally lamenting then I physically lament and I do the stretches uh, for my neck that I normally in my back that I would never have done had I not been hit in a car mm, accident. Yeah, and yeah. so I'm physically lamenting and wow. feeling the effects of sin in my body. And then I move into a, a movement of strengthening for mission. And so these are these are exercises like I have some hand weights. There's some uh, I do planks, things yeah. to strengthen my core uh, to, to support my body. 
But then also, then I pray and I ask the Lord to give me ears to hear what the Spirit is saying. And then I, I jump into the Word, you know, wherever I am in the Bible and I read. And again, the purpose for reading is not a spiritual checklist. Right. It's not so that I can feel better about myself. Um, it's not even so that I can have a good day. It's so that I can live in mission. It's so that yeah, God dude. can shape me and form me for mission. And so, and so then after I do all those things, then I read, I have a remix, Psalm 86, which is longer. I won't read that for y'all, but it's sort of like a sending out a doxology. And so this integrated liturgy, what is is it's taking prayer and reading the Bible and things like gratitude and lament mm. and, and combining them with motions of my physical body. And so for y'all here and out there, you might be like, well, I don't have to do all that every morning. I don't want to do all that every morning. There's different ways you can integrate yeah. the physical and spiritual. Look different. Yeah. There's it's things like different. like yeah. breath prayer. Yeah. Yeah. You know? I was I was thinking about Jim Mullins. He, uh, you know, I was having a conversation um, with him about something similar to this. He's like, when he takes out the trash, right, he thinks about his sin, mm. right, with the stench. Yeah. You know, being by the dumpster, you know, reminds him of like the ugliness and upset his own sin or sin in the world. So yes, yeah, yeah. So, yeah there's different ways to do this. As well, man, I, I love uh, I love that AC. Yeah, I, I love, love that man. That's, I love not only awesome. how it's yeah. integrated, but I I love the intentionality behind it. Exactly. I love that. It really does, even just with this podcast that we're talking about the body, it really brings the body into oftentimes what we know as spiritual time, right. you know, with, with God. And um, I, I think that's beautiful, man. It's really good. Um, so we're kind of approaching, you know, the end of uh, today's episode. And so we've been talking about fasting and feasting and Sabbath and self-care and um, ACs, New Age, newfangled, <laughs> integrated liturgies thing. No, it's so good. Um, so how do these practices, you know, and I, I'll pose this question to the both of you guys. How do these practices help us push against, um, you know, cultural idols um, and help to shape us into a missional, a more missional, better missional community? Yeah, I think there, there's a lot that could be said on this, but I want to highlight a few things. Yeah. With feasting first, uh, individualism. We live in a society that is marked by radical individualism, yeah. that is an idol. And we're seeing the devastating effect, effects of that, mm-hmm. right? With this isolation, that people are feeling this epidemic of isolation. Right. People are lonely. And that is a devastating effect. Like idols never fail yeah to fail to fail right right. they will always fail and if this individualism this radical individualism is an idol it's going to fail and it's failing people and so for us as god's people living out our missional identity partaking in his role and his mission here in the world but specifically the city here of tempe i think feasting is a way forward for us um that People are oftentimes overlooked. People are oftentimes not invited places. I'm becoming more and more convinced uh, after hearing stories of people in our church, uh, redemption communities that have done this feasting, people in my neighborhood, the people that we've feasted with, people don't get invited places yeah. unless it's with their pre-existing like close friends That's or right. coworkers where it's like, hey, you want to you grab lunch uh, or hey, you want to grab a, a drink or, or, or dinner after work or something. I mean, the power of an invite right now I think is a way forward That's so where good. it's like, That's so hey, good. this isn't someone I'm super close yeah. with, but would you want to come over or right. would you want to go out? And I think that that's a huge implication for us as far as what does it look like extending the hospitality of God to our neighbors, truly loving our neighbors and giving them a glimpse yeah. of what our king is like. I yeah. mean, we see that this was this literally was all through Jesus' earthly ministry. And so I think that that's a huge one for us on feasting. Yeah. I think there's massive implications for us uh, living on mission as it pertains to Sabbath. When we look at the original context of God's people in Egypt being dehumanized, 
we will do the same thing to people if we don't practice Sabbath. That's right. Because our lives are interconnected and our work involves other people, whether we believe it or not. That's right. And so what Sabbath keeping actually enables us to do as the people of God is it enables us to love our neighbors by preserving the image of God in them is that we actually see them for who they are, not what we want from them. We don't view them as equipment like Pharaoh viewed God's people to build stuff. And if we're not practicing the Sabbath as God's people, then we will dehumanize people. We will look at people in terms of what they can do for us instead of who they are, and we will actually dehumanize them. And so I think for us, that is a huge thing because we often say, oh, well, I don't need rest. And it's like, well, the rest isn't just for you. It involves other people as well. Right. And so I think for us is that if we can't rest, it's idolatry. Oh, and um, and so I think that that's one thing that involves Sabbath, but also just in the busyness of life, that people are being run ragged and there is no rest. I think for us as a community, not just individually, but yeah. a communal witness for the coming kingdom of the type of God that we have so is that good. our God invites us to rest. to rest from work and that he is still good enough yeah. and will provide and sustain for us and he can manage whatever chaos we have in our lives that God will take care of it when we rest. Yeah. I mean, I'm, we always talk about, you know, being that attractional community, right? Like, yeah. what an attraction that is that we can rest, right? We yeah. don't have to be going 24-7. That's that's huge. Um, AC, as far as, far as uh, fasting and self-care, you know, do you have any um, how do, have any ways that these practices help us to push against, you know, specific cultural idols? Yeah, I mean, I think that they both push against consumerism. Yeah, hmm. So consumerism sure. is, again, is this idea that human life re- revolves around the consumption of goods or the experience of services. And so especially in this younger generation, it's all about experience and, and all about comfort. Fasting obviously flies in the face of that because you're intentionally putting your sa- yourself in a state of uncomfortable huh yeah um, yeah that's right and so you're, that's right you're, it, it's just even it's just slight and it's subversive and it's subliminal um you're pushing against that and, but on the other side of that consumerism can not only lead to like chasing comfort consumerism can lead to workaholism that's right because mm. i want to climb the ladder or i want to i want to provide a certain level of living for my family or i want to get certain goods and services in my life i have to have them so i will overwork and so i will then sacrifice my body on the altar of overwork but self-care says no take your body back off that altar that's right, that's right. so i think that in two different ways both fasting and self-care can push against the same idol of that's consumerism. Right. good it's really good um i just wanted to thank ac and uh John today. Um, and yeah, as we think about, you know, the incarnation of Christ and how the Bible says the word become, became flesh, right? And dwelt among us, dwelt among us. Our bodies are important. So I would encourage you if you're out there and, um, maybe, um, you know, you're feeling overworked, you know, you're feeling tired, um, you know, you're, you know, you haven't, you're feeling lonely, whatever it may be that, um, you know, it, there, there's a reason behind it, right? It's, there's, uh, the, a way, the way that we're designed, right? It's that we, you know, we crave, um, to, to be with people, right? To eat with people and we need to rest. And so I encourage you to, um, you know, put these spiritual rhythms that we've talked about into play in your life. Um, and, um, I can, I can definitely say that you will be in a healthier place. So, um, that's all we have. That's all we have time for today. I thank you for listening and, uh, we'll see you guys next time.